Welcome to season four of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel Tolbert, Reverend. Good afternoon. Eric Dotlender, how are you? <laughs> I did not get your email, all right? I didn't get it. Or it wasn't ge- there. I- or Geeky Rabbi, or Rabbi CC something, something. You're, you're, how many email addresses do you have anyway? I don't know. They all go to the same place. Neither of it's possible notifications in my Google Docs are just turned off. That is a possibility. You're aware of that. I'm guessing you have like 15 email addresses, just for like knowing you. My guess is like no, absolutely you have not. Custom I think emails I have, for different parts I think of your I life. I five. I do use one for like when I buy things. Oh like yeah. Like I have a particular email address when I buy things. Yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> but no, I. Not 15. Please. Well, I mean, a, a holy person would only have one email address. That would be pure and perfect. <laughs> well, it would be perfect if you, as a Christian, had three email addresses, wouldn't it? Oh, nice. Yeah, but they would all have to be one somehow at the same time. So maybe they'd it would just all be... have to be one. Well, they could be unified in, 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 you know, how Gmail can like get one. Oh, off the rails already. <laughs> Two, one and a half minutes in. Oh my gosh. And good night. You all right, buddy? You made it. How was that pizza? Uh, oh, it seems like so long ago. That pizza was amazing after Passover. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I got sick again. <laughs> So you're catching me. Uh, I, I thought it was strep. I was I was positive that it was strep, but in fact it came back negative. But I apparently have very large tonsils, so I'm susceptible to colds and things. But it didn't feel like a cold. It felt exactly like strep, and still hurts a little bit to swallow, but nothing like it was. Everything's fine. Um, Welcome to having young to, ones in your house, right? They I know, bring it home I know. and give it to you, and yucky. Uh, but more to the point of how I'm doing it, it's it's a sad week. This week commemorates uh, Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day. And uh, yesterday there was a pretty powerful program at the library and I was part of a panel um, to discuss the Holocaust specifically with the um, the framing of the Ken's Burn documentary that came out a few months ago on PBS, which is available. So painful. Um, mm-hmm. Heart. Hard to watch, but I would say important to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that's where I'm at. What about you? Yeah, even before we get into today's topic, I I had sent you a picture. Our youth had a huge yard sale here at the church. Well, and... you realize this this could be the topic. Exactly. Right. I mean, we're – Okay. Yeah, it's going to connect for sure. Um, but in this massive yard sale was a tiny little piece of metal – with some Hebrew on it, uh, and I recognized it as a mezuzah, and it was from the American Holocaust Museum. So me remembering that and and tapping that, um, 
I took it home and I rolled up the scroll of the Shema and I tapped it to my door and then I thought, uh-oh, I should ask Eric, is this okay or am I appropriating Jewishness to my Christian pastor house? And he had three reactions in four seconds and then said, I better think about it. So I'm wondering, now that you've thought about it, what's your what's your reflection on that? So you want to have this conversation in front of thousands of listeners? You don't want to just have it, the two of us? Yeah. Because <laughs> this is part way, of our topic in a way. No, of course. By the way, speaking of thousands of listeners, one of uh, my congregants uh, and wonderful friends in the congregation, uh, I meant to say this last or two weeks ago, you know, I'm always self-effacing and talking about how like my mom is, I know she's a listener. So this one congregant said, I'm a listener too, Rabbi. I want you to know (laughs) you have more listeners than you think. That's great. So you know who you are. Well, actually, we don't have more listeners than we think. We know exactly how many (laughs) listeners we have. Our podcast platform tells us exactly how many downloads. It tells you downloads, not yeah. It tells you downloads, not streams, though. Okay, and it also tells us how how often people access it and how long they stay in it, and if they start at the beginning, if they listen to the end, it tells us all kinds of statistics. Interesting. Okay, so about the mezuzah on a Christian pastor's door. Is that... Yeah, I I probably lean toward appropriation. Say more. But I want to I know, I want to push it back to you, though. Like, what, aside from the, and I, and I would, by the, just by nature of you saying it, it I, I'm guessing that that had significance to you, that it was from... Um, you know, a Holocaust association. So you're kind of giving money to the right cause. Aside from those reasons, like what, why do you want it? Well, Jesus wasn't a Christian, <laughs> so he was a Jew. Um, the Shema was hugely important to him. When asked which of the commandments is the greatest, he didn't, he didn't name one of the 10. He went to the Shema. Um, and then the second one also wasn't one of the 10. It was this rando weirdo commandment um love your neighbor as yourself and and to know that almost mezuzahs apparently can have other things inside them other than the shema but that well it has well that's mostly correct so it it contains different texts the shema being one of them but it's not like there aren't options in other words every mezuzah has the same texts in them if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I get that, but you're not Jewish. I mean, Jesus might have been Jewish. I mean, I say might have been, like Jesus mm-hmm. was Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I agree on that. Yeah. But you're not Jewish. No. Like you would never, like you would never think to keep kosher, for example. You would never think to like a, regularly attend Friday night Shabbat services. Well, I I do attend regular weekly services because Jesus it was his habit on the Sabbath. Now I've I guess I've changed what Sabbath is for me and for my crew. Um, no, I wouldn't keep kosher, but Jesus didn't keep kosher. I mean, he got in a lot of trouble for plucking the heads of grain and rubbing them together and eating them. And he talked about the bread of presence that David ate one time when he wasn't supposed to. Uh, so there's there are these moments where I think Christians forget that Judaism is our home and it's our 
it's our mother and our father and and it's there's nothing about Judaism that we can't look to and honor and remember and be grateful for and and, and even that's, sometimes defer to um but now that, he didn't I still have Azusa different yeah I think that's different than observe though that's fair you could honor learn and and I also I mean I also think you know aside from the specificity of the mezuzah like your religion even I think by your own definition is not what Jesus did like even the term protestant like there was no Pro- there were no protestants when Jesus was alive so like it's not a it, it's not purely historical in that sense the the reason protestants exist was to make the distorted church look more like what Jesus imagined it. That's that's why they protested against the institutional systemic church at the time, is that it had made up a bunch of crap that didn't look or sound anything like Jesus. It's why we cut it from seven sacraments to two sacraments, the only ones that were attached to Jesus. The A lot of Christianity does attempt to defer all the way back. But it, um, I tried to think about it like I'll, I won't ever lead a Seder. I may attend one, but I won't ever lead one, right? And there are Christian churches who do lead one, and I'm, yes. right? I'm a little icky with that. Um, but I was trying to figure out, okay, I'm not leading other people in doing it. I'm putting it on my home, my personal home. I'm not trying to say I'm Jewish, but I am trying to say I worship the one Lord that this Shema points to, and and calls me to walk toward. So I felt okay and icky about it. So it's why I honor your And I appreciate that. I mean, I think most Jews would agree that a mezuzah is a physical manifestation of a Jewish identity. Hmm. And so in that sense, it's a little off. Yeah. And... There's also, I don't know why this matters, but I, it does, at least for me it does, the public-private nature of it. And so the fact that it's private in some, like, like in, a, in a lot of ways, I'm very much, hey, whatever you find meaningful or helpful in your life. But, but you know, that's a, in some ways that's a naive thing to say because, like, there's things I find f- or people find funny that are inappropriate. There's mm-hmm. lots of things that people want to do that hurt other people's feelings or give people a sense of like ickiness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I yeah, have I think Hebrew tattooed on one of my arms, right? And that Yeah, that doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me at all. And it took me a while to, you know, to try to decide, is is this okay? Yeah. And I decided, yeah, because you know, my scripture is all of the Hebrew Bible and then some other things too. And that's a Hebrew well, and Bible you're thing. also more learned than kind of the average person. And so, they're, they're like, you know, I appreciate at least the thoughtfulness of it, even if we disagree uh, on it. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. Like, it's different than just some, like, in the same way, by the way, I think similarly about. When I'm working with someone who's converting to Judaism and they say, well, I, Rabbi, I'm keeping kosher. It's like, why? <laughs> not, 
But and not because like you shouldn't keep kosher. Or I don't keep kosher. Why you keep it kosher? It's uh-huh. not that. It's you're not Jewish. Like it's weird. Like it, you shouldn't be doing like Jewish commandments in the guise of observing Judaism if you're not Jewish. Hmm. I, I find that with Christians, like even people who aren't sure if they're Christian or like. Okay, they're baptized and they attend a Christian church, but they don't really believe stuff. Uh, I find that they will tell me that they practice certain disciplines of Christianity, maybe prayer meditation, maybe service, maybe tithing, whatever. Uh, Just attending worship is a practice or discipline, and they attend it. And then they'll say, but I don't really believe. I'm I'm not. And, And I don't challenge them on those moments where they confess they practice a discipline despite it not matching their internal or confessed identity. Because for me, sometimes the practice or the discipline leads to faith. So if somebody is trying on the practice or trying on the discipline, I don't think you have to be pre-identified in order to earn the right to practice the discipline. I think you can practice the discipline in order to pre-measure yourself into does this identity fit? I think with some things that's the case, but I'll give an example that um, was a difficult decision for me, but I still, for me, I made the right decision, you know, with with integrity, that there was someone that wanted me to do a baby naming for, I don't remember if it was son or daughter, non-member of the congregation, someone I'd never met. And I said, oh, well, tell, you know, tell me about your family and, and religiously. And, and it's like, well, well, you know, we, we baptized, I'm just going to say her, right? I don't know if it was a boy or a girl, but we, we baptized her and we're going to give her, you know, a, a Jewish baby naming and, and she can decide. Wow. And I said, look, <laughs> like you, you know, as a parent, you know, by like, I'm not going to tell you, especially like, I don't have a longstanding relationship with this person. And it's never been my game to kind of argue that you must raise a child Jewish. Mm -hmm. But if you want me to be your rabbi, Mm -hmm. and if you want me to perform certain things, then there are, for me to feel good about doing them, and you know what I mean about feeling good, like to to feel like it's the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. I, I said... A baby naming is celebrating a child's Jewish identity. So if you're not sure if that child is going to be Jewish, like that's your right. But I'm not comfortable giving that person. So there, there are, I, I hear your argument. And again, I appreciate the thoughtfulness of it. But I think with some things, there is the identity first that then confers kind of the rights and responsibilities second. You know, in yeah. Judaism, let me just finish with one thing. In, in Judaism, that there's kind of a formula for a lot of blessings. And the way it ends is, Asher Kedeshanu B'mitzvotav. And what that means is, so the preamble is, Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, traditional translation, King of the universe. We say creator of the universe or something. And then the Hebrew words that I just used translate to, who commanded us to, insert verb here. So if you're not, Jewish, you aren't commanded to do those things in the same way that I'm not, and I know it's a different verb, it's, uh, the metaphor doesn't work perfectly, in the same way that even if I found eating the Eucharist meaningful, 
Let's even if I did find it meaningful, a Catholic church doesn't want me to because it's not for me. It's not an insult. I don't see it as an insult at all. It's like di- different families, you know, if you think about personalities, you know, different families have their own traditions, have their own way of doing things. This is a Jewish way of doing things. Yeah, and that's where me and the Catholic Church would disagree whether or not, I mean, and a lot of Christians that aren't Catholics um, also t- provide communion only for their believing members, their, those people who have pre-identified. Yes. And they even consider taking communion, if you're not a pre-identified believer, as a curse upon you from some weird thing where Paul was trying to break up a fight. Uh, but for me, communion is so much bigger than a church's breaking of bread and serving wine to its members. It is a massive feast of all the children of God through all of time and history. So any human being is welcome to taste and eat. And I do not consider it an identity of the person when I preside at that sacrament for us, I consider it a marker of the identity of God, not the person taking it, but the God serving it. Therefore, every child of God is welcome to that table. And I can understand why we might say, well, no, I don't want it, or I'm not worthy of it, or I'm not a member, or I believe some other religion. Or And if a person opts out, I think that's a fair opt. But I would never, as a, a clergy person of the God I try to lead and teach and serve, block anyone from entering into that sacrament with us based off of our rules um, or our expectations of pre-identifying self. Um, so maybe that's why I, I felt comfortable putting the mezuzah on my door and then felt icky on your behalf because I, I, I think I think you and I do identity slash practice a, a little differently. Sure. And and I, I can't help but think that there's a piece of this that relates to Jews being a minority and kind of Christians being the majority, right? For, mm-hmm. that, by the way, I'm not saying that's a good reason. I just think it's real. I think that's totally um, fair. Yes, yes. I And I do remember, I haven't been to the American Holocaust Museum. I've, I've been to the one in Israel. And uh, I still, like that image of the room with the shoes. Uh, oh, yeah. Is burned into my head uh, in a monstrous way. There's the huge circular wall, you know, the cylinder of, of files and pictures um, in there. And that space is, it's holy uh, to me. And I, I don't, it's scary to me that uh, memories of tragedy, human sin and evil have the capacity to be holy spaces, but it is. And and so when I had, knowing that it's coming up on Holocaust Remembrance Day, knowing that this mezuzah is in honor of that Holocaust, knowing that I practice it not in a way to, to appropriate an identity onto me that I don't have, but to give a nod to, to Jesus who was a Jew and that we often forget a Palestinian Jew, and to all of those who are Jewish, whom I I want to, them to know, I support 
your tradition. I, um, I, I live it in a very different way, but I, I consider y'all my, my brothers and sisters and I don't follow a Christian. I follow a Jew. Uh, so it's, it's weird to say that in America sometimes, um, knowing that so many friggin' yes. American Christians hate Jews. Like, hello, the hypocrisy of that statement right there. Uh, but and yeah. also for for those listening that that either may be Jewish or or may have experienced other Christians saying you know we love you you're our brothers and sisters I can tell you having known Joel for almost ten years and considering him a close friend that is genuine it's not the I love you because you're gonna help me and my faith achieve something <laughs> you know in Armageddon right or you know in the rapture oh, I mean th- th- it's very real. <laughs> From Joel, it's not the uh, the yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> oh. but that's our topic today. It's about what is holy, what is profane, what is reverent, what is sacrilegious. In our two ways of trying to do faith and to lead people in faithfulness. We often bump into weird definitions and lines and boundaries of what we think is appropriate or inappropriate in worship or in life because somebody has told us or we've read it or we've adopted it into our own practice that A is holy, B is profane. A is reverent and appropriate, B is sacrilegious and inappropriate. And I wonder if you have a list or some examples of moments where you've been called out for being uh, sacrilegious. Uh, you 100. So I, the example that comes to mind is that is, is from 10 years ago. So without going so far down the weeds and, and uh, we're probably close to time um, and we could go hours on this particular conversation, <laughs> I think. Especially as I keep delaying what I'm going to say by uh, <laughs> giving more backstory, just more things for you to edit, Joel. Um, so there is a, a tradition. It's not a 4,000-year-old tradition that um, when someone gets bar bat mitzvahed, you know, they're 13, they're leading the service, the Torah gets physically passed. Before they chant from the Torah, the Torah gets physically passed into their arms from their family. And there's this beautiful concept in Judaism, Lador Vador, from generation to generation. And the rabbi usually says something hopefully beautiful and moving and personal to that kid about, you know, the, the Torah is moving from their hands to yours and you're taking their lessons and now it's yours, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So there's a question. What if someone in that family is not Jewish? Do you let them physically pass the Torah to the child? In every Reformed congregation that I know, the answer is yes. Because, you know, you're not, a non-Jew can't read from the Torah. A non-Jew can't give the blessing for reading from the Torah. But literally touching the Torah, covered, mind you, to pass it to their daughter, there's no, even in the strictest understanding of, of orthodoxy, there is no rule prohibiting it. But some people find that sacrilegious. And you and the, the challenge is you can't argue with feeling. I can say, you know, as a rabbi, 
on a, you know, historical basis for things. And actually, this isn't a, a law that we're breaking, and it, which is even more complicated because as Reformed Jews, there are laws that we do break knowingly, willfully. But that was an example of something where not only was, you know, I on the other side, I was on the other side of some congregants, um, but it's something that I, you know, there are lots of things where, and I know this is true for you, where like at the end of the day, we want to please our congregants. Not as not as priority number one, but as a priority. Maybe it's a little lower for you than me. <laughs> Please them um, is not the right word. I, I want to inspire no, them but, and encourage them and nudge yes. them and comfort them, but I I'm not interested in pleasing them. Maybe maybe the wrong verb, but I think it's a semantic distinction. Sure. Because it, it, yep. it, so like I'm I want to serve my congregants, and and to a certain degree, they decide what serve means. Now, to a certain degree, I want to be very, very clear. Um, but this was an issue that I would not budge on, and I told the I, I mean it, it was brought up on the board level. I said that I cannot, with good conscience, be the rabbi and not allow a family member, and like that is an example of of what you're you're talking about here. That, and and I helpful. get it. Like, I get the argument of someone who is Jewish, who takes it seriously, or who converted and who comes to services regularly to be like, I, why do, like, so are they just Jewish now? Do they get to do everything? Does, so I, I get it. Um, but yeah. It's the same as the mezuzah in a lot of ways. It's an identity and access, right? The access to this writer privilege is reserved for those whose identity is already Jewish to, to some. Therefore, if you give access to someone who isn't, that's sacrilegious or profane. You've, you've uh, affected our tradition by stretching it past its normal boundary. Um, but in your opinion, look, touching it, sealed, handing it over, the, the word was is present in all human beings. They're not preaching from it. They're not reading from it. They're not doing the blessing of it. That's different. But, um, but of course, the the word brought all things into being. That's Genesis one, y'all. So this, I don't know, parent who's not Jewish is a child of God too, and will pass that over onto his or her daughter uh, in some way. I like that you you make that exception. Thanks for sharing. For me, it's it's similar stuff. It's music. <laughs> it's uh, which version of yes. the Bible I read from. Uh, there are times where I, you know, I say the Lord's Prayer and I say, um, "Our Our Creator, the One in Heaven, Holy is Your Name," as opposed to "Our Father who art in Heaven, Hallowed." be thy name. And I'll have somebody sit next to me and wonder why the heck is he praying it wrong? And I'm like, I'm just praying it, you know, in our language, not in Elizabethan language, because we don't live in Elizabethan times. But they will perceive it as almost sacrilegious that I'm not using the King James version of the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23. I've been. I've got. Well, because that's what they. That's what they associate with being the right way, whether it is or not. I, did I share with you that the time where we sat for a prayer instead of stood in one congregation? Yep, I remember that story. Yeah. That was on one I of mean, our previous episodes. 
I mean, that's another kind of example. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's the challenge of people feel strongly ab- about things with oftentimes not a lot of background knowledge. And that's a that's a difficult combination to argue with. Well, and, and I'm okay with us saying there is a definition or a line between holy and profane. I, I'm okay with us saying something like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And then I think we should also differentiate that from, uh, let's say, reverent and sacrilegious. I, I don't think sacrilegious and holy are opposites one another. Sacrilegious means our religious tradition prefers something, and you are going against our preference. Jesus did that all the time, and Jesus was always holy, y'all. So guess what? You have perceived Jesus as radically sacrilegious, but tough noogies. He is the beautiful, holy example of what it looks like to try and stay holy no matter what religion says. And I don't know how—do you ever sense that people are holding you to do it the holy way when all they're trying to do is just— uh, make you do it their preferred way? Um, I have to think about that. I mean, I'm sure the answer is yes. I mean, one, <laughs> one, example I'm th- one example I could think of, which isn't quite their preferred way, but it's what they perceive as holy is, you know, lots of times, that I, again, I can't imagine this is unique in Judaism, but people want their clergy to kind of be more observant than they are. So there are congregants that think I should keep kosher, even though they themselves don't and won't keep kosher. But I'm the rabbi. Mm -hmm. I should keep kosher. And so, you know, we've had that conversation. Yes. You should Um, be out in front. Right. Right. And it's like, well, but people know Jews don't eat pork and don't. I was like, well, but what if that's wrong? I mean, (laughs) even so, like people have assumptions, but what but those assumptions can be wrong. And again, there's times where it, I mean, it, it's a tricky thing. I mean, it is not so black and white. It, it's mm-hmm. it, it, each thing kind of has to be navigated and it's also personality driven to a degree and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, what is this person able to accept? What am I able to accept? And in what context? I mean, it is tricky. Like the Beastie Boys said, run DMC. <laughs> okay. Which, tricky, tricky. Run DMC? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's Run DMC. Positive. The hard part for me is, like, if somebody comes at me with a sharp critique or criticism that I did something inappropriate, I need to quickly discern with them whether their complaint is about irreverence to them. They think I broke some tradition or some ritual that they prefer that feels more religious and careful and respectful to them? Or are they accusing me of doing something um, inappropriate to God? Not religion, but to God. Are they are they saying I crossed a God boundary, not a religion boundary? Um, are they saying I crossed a God commandment, not a, a denominational uh, doctrine? And And I have to quickly discern that. And if they're saying I crossed a God boundary, uh-oh. Um, apology, five steps back, undo that as fast as possible, um, thank them for their feedback, uh, you know, and even like some kind of public confession that I, I I went too far there. 
Um, let me back that up. Uh, but if but almost like ninety eight percent of the ones I get I was, are just religious. I was going to say stuff. like what percentage of that? Yeah. Well, that's kind of like the political like rabbi don't you know don't preach that from the bima. Yeah. Like that's a preference thing. By the way, people are entitled to their preferences. Right. It just might not be what I do or what the synagogue does. But I totally respect. Um, and when politics and religion are so intertwined or in some people's heads shouldn't be intertwined, you know, that that's going to get that tension is going to get lifted up. Yeah, let me just make a quick the thing with- if, if I can bullet list 15, 20 items and see if this triggers some in you. One, we played a U2 song as a prelude one time, and I got a complaint that we were playing secular music in worship. Now, I don't know if they know Bono, but he is a deeply spiritual person. <laughs> he can't write a lyric that doesn't say something about God. So I... I wondered what they meant by that. And all they meant by that is, that's not my preferred kind of music. I get in trouble if we don't use the Apostles' Creed and the standard boring doxology at these two critical (laughs) points in our worship service. Now, we have a bunch of creeds that we can stand up and say that affirm our faith. Yeah. We have a bunch of songs that are fun at, that we can sing at the point where we say thanks, words saying songs of thanks. But I get in trouble and it's perceived as inappropriate or even not not right religion if I sacrilegious if I don't do the doxology and the Apostles' Creed. I, I get in trouble if I'm casual with the bread after communion. My favorite thing to do with the broken bread after communion, I was after say, worship, what does that mean? Uh, is to give it out to kids. I walk through the congregation in the coffee hour and the fellowship hall. I take the bread I broke at the communion table and I ask the kids, do you want some more? And they go yes because they love this brand. And it's people so say good. that's ca- I mean the the critique of that is your it's casual. Yes, that's not the I, word. I- I'm being irreverent. I'm I'm treating the bread inappropriately. I, I get it. Yeah, right. It should be taken yeah. carefully and honored and wrapped. And and uh, I'm like y'all are trying to kill Jesus, and I'm trying to remember him. <laughs> like you want me to wrap him up and put him away. I love like, it. Like in a tube. I love it. Uh, Joel, right? I love that. It's little things like that. Um, and I used to have the kids come to the table with me at the end of worship. I've and seen I, it. And I would yeah. give it to them I've right there. But oh my gosh, some people hated that because they're like, oh my God, you're letting yeah. the vultures. I, the word was, you let the vultures come and pick over the bread. And I'm like, first, they're children, <laughs> not vultures, <laughs> right? And he said, children let of them God, come to mind me. you. That's right. <laughs> So it's oh my, it's moments like that. Well, yeah, that are I mean, I yeah, and I I could have similar points. I mean, I, I'm laughing in uh, in in empathy, right? Because I, I think all clergy have that. But you know, one of the jokes I make, and I'm sure you've heard me say this all the time. It's like, you know, I. I, when I'm being irreverent, sometimes I'll say, oh, I love Judaism, but, you know, today the Jews are making me crazy. Like, but because they, but in reality, and what this, you know, as much as I kind of either self-deprecate or make fun, what I love about Judaism is it cannot be divorced from Jews. In other words, Judaism is messy. Religion is messy. It's with people. It's personality it's not personality driven, but it's but it certainly plays a factor. And 
you know, when when rabbis, I, you could tell me if this is true for you, when look for a job, we make all of these kind of uh, comparisons to dating because it's not whether about you're a good rabbi and they're a good congregation. It's are you the right rabbi for that congregation and vice versa? It's the match. And so, like, if all of your congregation has the preference that you do the standard boring doxology, then you might be in the wrong place. But if it's a few people that say it to you every week, then, you know, that's like, that's how it is. I've had folks, and my guess is you've had this too, who think jokes and laughter are kind of inappropriate in worship. Yes. It, yes. No, no. That I have gotten that for 16 years of my rabbinate. At the end of the day, I think, especially when, you know, people know me and see me in a variety of contexts over a, a variety of time, like that's like, that's the real, like this, this is it. Like I'm not putting on airs. I'm not, you know, and, um, and I think again, most of the people get it and, and, you know, blessedly, I, I, I do think it's a, it's a good match here, mm-hmm. um, as I did in Omaha also. Um, but yeah, there's always, you know, I, I got, I, I may have shared with you when this happened and now it's going to sound like the venting show and I'm, I'm really not, not trying to, but, um, you know, as you know, I like to be silly. I like to have fun. I have interests outside of the congregation. I don't know that I get to do them as often as I'd like. But, um, you know, you know that I love the band Fish. And a few years ago, I was at a Fish concert with a very, very dear friend of mine who also happens to be a rabbi. And, um, you know, we took a selfie together. And, um, you know, with our backs to the stage. So you could see the stage behind us. And I made like a, you know, really happy face. Like I'm excited to be there. And I heard from someone else that a congregant was really upset because this isn't what they want their rabbi to, to kind of look like. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't really argue with that, mm-hmm. right? Like I could be sad. I could be frustrated. I could decide not to post things on Facebook. But at the end of the day, more there's no doubt in my mind that I relate better and more strongly, stronger to congregants through, you know, that additional outreach of which there's many, right? There's Facebook, there's text, there's visitations, there's meals, there's a beer, there's coffee that like, I'm not going to not post on Facebook. I'm not. Mm -hmm. And if that, if I end up posting something that people find using, you know, the words for today, irreverent or sacrilegious or even inappropriate, I... That's the price I'm paying, and I'm willing to do that. Um, yeah, and some of it you know, is... At the end of the day, it comes down... It just one, I know I've gone on a while. I just want to say one more sentence. Please. It, I always, I'll always remember this. One of my favorite professors, who... He was one of those rare professors that actually was a pulpit rabbi before becoming a professor at HUC. And he would teach philosophy, and he was brilliant. He'd say, you know what? At the end of the day, just don't be a schmuck. Right. Like, be yourself. Right. Don't be a schmuck, you know? And if you are a schmuck, then don't be yourself. But, like, because really, people want authenticity, even if it's imperfect and sometimes making a joke or whatever. It's The authenticity is the most important thing. That's fair. I, And maybe that's the hard part is what you and I end up doing is trying to reteach people there's a difference between 
holy and religious and appropriate and preferred. Those are way far apart on the spectrum. And if, and if you're equating your personal preference or your religious tradition's habit with appropriate religion or even holy, you have confused something. And, and I need you to be really clear, your religion might move all over the place. And if it's trying to become more holy, even if you don't like it, that's a good thing. You, you want your religion to look more and more and more like God. You want your community to look more like beloved community, kingdom of God, every day. And if you don't like those kind of practices and that kind of community, guess what? You don't like God and, and you don't like beloved community. I, I want you to love moving toward that kind of community, whatever that looks like. But there's so many parables of Jesus where what everybody thought was appropriate or even holy. Um, there was a big party being thrown in one of Jesus's parables, and he says, okay, the party started. And he goes to some people and they say, oh, sorry, I need to go do the appropriate thing and check out some new ox I got from my for my business. I need to go do the appropriate thing. Uh, I just got married and my wife and I are headed off on our honeymoon. I need to do the religious thing. My father just died and I need to go bury him. And Jesus goes, you know what? The party's starting without you. Uh, we're doing it anyway, right? Let the dead bury the dead. Bring your wife to the party. The oxen can wait. It's time now to enjoy community with the people of God. And and he's trying to tell those stories to say what you think is appropriate or religious or even faithful or holy. It, it doesn't matter what y'all think. It only matters what God thinks is holy and beautiful. Uh, so I, I find myself all the time getting stuck in the tension between a, a member's expectation uh, and, and what I think is a God priority. And it's, they're, God, they're so far apart. Oh, absolutely. That that's what I was thinking about when you were just speaking. And and I, I for listeners, I I truly don't mean this judgmentally, but we as clergy, for the most part, think about religion differently than our congregants. So you know, on my Facebook thread of rabbis, for example, um, recently, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this. I I want to hit the, the the salient points for this conversation. There was a debate about a Jewish organization that kind of doesn't have our values, okay, in America, not in Athens, Georgia, and was wondering why they're so successful. And then, you know, other rabbis were chiming in, well, maybe the maybe we don't think our people actually have the same values we do. And I'm thinking, no, it's just that they don't think about like we are insiders, you know, we understand, we, when we see this organization and we see that, you know, women are in the kitchen all the time and not at the Shabbat dinner, like we understand kind of what that means, but the, and, but the other people don't. So let, let's not misattribute a value to people that they just don't have. And, I mean, people join religious institutions for so many reasons. And, you know, if you ask an, 
the average congregant, why did you join synagogue? Oh, it's a wonderful community. We do good work. Um, I want my children to have bar about mitzvah. Like those are all real reasons for people. You know, people aren't necessarily, not even necessarily. I don't even, people don't talk about God when they talk about reasons to join a synagogue. Um, by the way, I don't talk about God when I talk about reasons to be a rabbi. I mean, that could be another conversation. But so again, I'm not dissimilar from my congregants in that way. Um, and Judaism's always kind of said that it's it's the Christians that do theology. Like we do praxis, you know. And of course, that's a gross metaphor. Um, you know, uh, Christianity is a religion of creed, Judaism, deed, yada, yada, yada. Um, not so simple, of course. Um, but something to it, nonetheless. <laughs> It, well, if without theology, the Holocaust would be a, a very weird place for y'all in in your in the his, in the people's history, as would Exodus. Y'all had to process that theologically to know what the next deed would be, and and whether or not you think of yourselves as people of creeds, your quickie creedal statement: A, remember. We were slaves in Egypt. God saw us, God heard us, and God walked us out. That is a creed. And when you nail it, it is. to your doorpost. Well, I would right? say it's more I would say it's more of an identity than a creed, but but yes. It's a belief. Uh, I mean that credo just means I believe. I believe God I know we were there and I believe God heard us and rescued us. That second part is a faith statement more than it is uh Right, and it's saying it or thinking it or feeling it or whatever. It's an adoption of that new faith slash truth into my persona, who I'm going to be, who I think I always have been and who I'm going to be going forward. So it affects my deeds. And I feel like that's where holy happens. Like the definition of holy is if my faith, belief, knowledge of who God is inspires my next word in action, that word in action is holy. I, I don't know what it's going to yes. be yet. Right, but that word in action is holy. If it doesn't match the actions before, if it doesn't look like the way we used to, if it doesn't sound like the way we we've always done it, if it's not the same song or the same creedal statement or the same prayer or the same tune underneath the prayer, good lord, <laughs> let that stuff go. Literally, look, look for the look for the godness of the new words, deeds, creeds that are being spoken and embodied there, that's where holy happens. And I don't know how to help people differentiate that, but if I, I feel like that is my job now sometimes. Like the job of a pastor is to reteach what is really holy versus what they think is holy. Because there are so many Christians who think it is unholy to have female pastors. There are so many Christians oh, who think it is unholy yeah, to preside or, at a yeah, gay wedding. No, that's right? a great... That's a great example. Yeah. That's a and, great example. And when Jill flew out to California to preside at a gay wedding between uh, a student of hers that she taught in seventh grade, uh, you know, 10, 15 years before that, pictures went up and it showed Jill presiding and it showed me there and it showed us with the brides and people at, back at my church were thought it inappropriate that their pastor and his wife were present, even presided at a gay wedding. Well, that's, guess what? Right, your that's your preference, but it's not about holy and profane. To you, it's against your religion, so it's sacrilegious, but I don't care. 
what your religion is. I only care about who God is, what God loves, how God you know, embodies like grace that. in the world. I like that. Uh, well, Joel, I uh, I need to go before I uh, have my next holy meeting. Lovely. Hope it's full <laughs> <Because> of holes. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, I don't think this one will be. That's uh, actually uh, speaking of holiness. It's it's community work and partnership with with uh, you know interfaith and and inter interracial communities. So it, it's certainly holy work. That is keeping it real, right there. Good job. Trying. You, you know how we do it. <laughs> Until next time. All right, my friend. And to all the listeners, be good. Make holy choices. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder, and all the religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to religionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.